Thanks so much, Brother Craig. I really appreciate it. Well, it's great to see you today. I was going to say that to you. I, I've been here a couple of times, and I'm, I'm always excited and privileged to come back. I think this is a very unique place and a unique church. And so I'm honored to be a part of it and honored that I'd be asked to uh, participate with you. Uh, but every time I've come, you've always made me feel very, very welcome and made me feel at home. Except for this time, because it's 60 degrees where I'm from, and it's like, when I got up, I, I saw seven, I think. And, and I was telling Brother Prater, I think this is the very first church, I'm going to put this, this may be the first and the last, the very first church that I was welcomed at the door coming in by a blowtorch. <laughs> Where's the guy with the blowtorch? Is he still out there? He's still out there? <clears throat> you know, that was awesome. I'm like, you know, what kind of church is this? <laughs> we're, we're all going to leave here today on fire, man, you know, it's revival, right, you know? So, well, praise the Lord. It is good to be here. And as Brother Prater told you, uh, uh, my name is Michael Jones. I do pastor in South Carolina and been privileged to serve there for the last three years. And he, he got tongue-tied and said, California. I did pastor in California for a little while and uh, just uh, thrilled to be with you today. He mentioned the fact that I have four wonderful children and one other one. And uh, I'm really blessed by all of them. I really am. I say that tongue-in-cheek, but I do love my children and um, uh, just uh, wish they, they could be here. Um, I, I took a picture of the snow and sent it to my wife, and she said, beautiful. I said, seven degrees. She said, no. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, Nehemiah. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 8, would you? I know this is uh, Sunday school, and we're going to look at uh, revival in the Bible, okay? What we're about to read about is probably one of the greatest, maybe the greatest national revival uh, in history. Uh, I know there have been wonderful revivals in church history, and really in, we could look at some in American history, uh, but this is one in Bible history, and Nehemiah chapter 8, and it's an interesting passage, and we'll read the first eight verses together, and uh, interestingly enough, I think since it's Sunday school, I'll just let you remain seated, but if you've ever wondered why do we stand sometimes when we read the Bible together, it's not just something that a preacher came up with some idea and said, hey, let's do that. It's actually in the Bible. They stood here in respect for the Bible and they read it. And some of you are nodding your heads. You're aware of that. Uh, but I always like to think about that. Why do we pray over our food? You know, those, those things are answered in the Bible. There are reasons. They've kind of become traditions to us. And by the way, can I say that? Uh, this is just free. All traditions aren't bad, you know. And I think we've got a movement today that wants to tear down any tradition. And tradition in and of itself isn't bad, uh, but I think sometimes we have traditions that we might think, well, why do we do that? And a lot of times that answer is found in the Bible. So let's just take a look at this, okay? It says, and all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. So that was a pretty good long, long service there. So don't complain about your preacher if he goes past noon. See, these guys start away early. But anyway, before men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose and beside him stood um, Mattathiah and Shema and another list of people whose names are very difficult to pronounce. In verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. There you go. There's what we were talking about. 
And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua and Bani and a lot of other folks that have unusual names caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. We'll stop our reading there and take a look at some things this morning. I want to mention to you this morning, and this is what we want to talk to you about, is some ingredients for revival. Man, I want to commend you and applaud you already that you are here this morning on, uh, I promise you, if we were back in South Carolina, probably every church would have canceled three days ago because somebody uttered the word snow. And even if I was crazy enough not to cancel it in South Carolina, it would be me and my four, or five children and my uh, a wife, and that would probably be it, and any staff member that was afraid of losing their job. So that's about all that would be there. And so I commend you and applaud you already for being here at church. But we have kind of gathered this week and put some thought and expense and effort into a revival meeting, but what exactly is it? Because unfortunately, I want to say to you, I didn't pack revival in my suitcase and bring it with me. Uh, you know that already. Nobody can do that. Only the Lord can send that. Uh, so how can we have it? Well, I think that this passage contains some of the answers to that. You know, God's people here in this text were, had been in captivity for 70 years. That had been promised by Jeremiah. And it's all because they basically refused to obey God's word. And so after 70 years, they're allowed to leave by decree of Cyrus. And Ezra and Zerubbabel led some people back to restore the temple. And so you have two back-to-back books, Ezra and Nehemiah. And so Ezra really has the idea of repairing the temple and getting that in order. And so later, a little bit after that, this man, Nehemiah, about 12 to 14 years after the fact, he goes back and he's going to rebuild the walls that go around the city. And I was talking to your pastor a little bit about uh, the building here, and I just think you have beautiful facilities, but I know it was an enormous amount of work for you to get this building the way it is today. And you read Nehemiah, and it makes you mad if you've ever been through a building project. I've been through some. I mean, in 52 days, they're done. And uh, that's just sickening, because I went through a building project, and our church had grown, and we built a new auditorium and some educational space, and... I'm going to tell you, I now know why Noah got drunk after he built the ark, you know. And so here you have Nehemiah in 52 days. Boom, I mean, he's, he's done. And this is kind of the culmination. I would imagine that the first service maybe that you had in here when, when things were kind of done and spruce up would have been a very exciting time. I can remember the auditorium that we built. Uh, man, the first day uh, we were running probably about 500 or so. Our auditorium was going to seat about... 550, 600, you know, because not everybody's in the auditorium. And I remember the first Sunday we were in our new auditorium, we had like 900 people. I about had a heart attack. I thought, man, we built, we went through all of this and it's not even big enough. You know, it was just crazy. But anyway, uh, here is this big celebration that they're having because of what has been built and constructed. And what takes place is one of the greatest revivals recorded in the Bible. Now, what exactly is revival? What is it? Well, if we take a standard textbook definition, here here are a couple of them, and I think this is pretty good. The act or process of coming back to life. That's a pretty good definition. 
If you've been born again, you've been regenerated. Remember uh, when we get saved, Jesus didn't say that we needed to be, uh, you know, we, we needed to kind of get our act together. He said, no, you, you need an entirely new nature. And so he gave us new life. And we sing about that and we talk about that. But here this kind of, kind of, man, we've got this life and it's revived. It's brought back to enthusiasm. And that's, that's the next definition. I think it's probably even a better textbook definition. It's a restoration to vigor or health. And so sometimes we can have life, but we're dragging a little bit. And, and churches get that way too. Remember, the Bible likens a church to a body. And sometimes our bodies aren't functioning at, old, you know, at that perfect pitch and pace. You know? And so this is a revival. is bringing back some restoring of vigor and health. But if I could give you a spiritual definition of, of revival, here's one that I like to use with our church. It's a renewal of interest in spiritual things. I mean, you're, you're here this morning in Sunday school, so I don't need to lecture you or berate you. You're here on a snowy, cold day, and, and obviously you have an interest in spiritual things or you wouldn't be here. But you and I both know, and I've grown up in church all of my life, you and I both know that you can backslide sitting in the front pew at the church. I mean, you just can. And sometimes, even as a pastor, and I hope you don't think bad, I just like being transparent with people. Even as a pastor, your, your enthusiasm for spiritual things can, can kind of drift and wane at times. And, and, and that's what we want. That's what this extra concentration of a meeting is. Listen, I'm not going to tell you anything you've probably never heard before. I, I really doubt that I am. And I'm okay with that because I get nervous about preachers that say, nobody's ever preached this before. If that's the case, man, you better fold your Bible up and kind of walk out the door, man, because those people make me nervous. A lot of times we just need to, Paul talked all the time, I'm putting you in, uh, uh, Peter said, I'm going to stir you up by putting you in remembrance of these things. And you know how it is. You, if you're raised children, sometimes you can tell them this and tell them this and tell them this, and then somebody else comes along and tells them that, and they listen to that person. And so uh, here we brought in a preacher that's just kind of got a different voice than you've heard before and, and trying to renew your interest in spiritual things. We got your preachers really only asking you to come to church two more nights than you normally would, Monday and Tuesday, because every good Christian ought to come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, right? And so two additional nights, and why? Just, just some... Renewal of interest in spiritual things. So how do we have that then? How does that happen? Well, I believe in this passage, God gives us the ingredients for revival. Whether it's a national revival, I think the ingredients would be the same. Whether it's a church-wide revival or an individual revival or a home revival, these, these are the, the, the ingredients that you need. I came across this uh, particular poem. I, I, I don't get too much into poetry, but I, I do like a good, sarcastic, funny poem every once in a while. Uh, my favorite po poet is not uh, Shakespeare, but Shel Silverstein, and if you've ever read those poems to your kids, you understand where I'm coming from. Uh, but anyway, I heard one preacher say this one time, he said, everyone wants my product, but few people want my recipe. And then I saw this poem, and it kind of goes along with that. It says this, I didn't have potatoes, so I substituted rice. I didn't have paprika, so I used another spice. I didn't have tomato sauce, I used tomato paste. Not a half a can, a whole can, because I don't believe in waste. A friend gave me a recipe, she said you couldn't beat it. There must be something wrong with me, because I couldn't even eat it. 
And, and, and I think that goofy little poem kind of gives us an idea about revival. I think a lot of people want revival. I mean, we're sitting there and say, yeah, I want re- restored vigor and health. And I, I want a renewal of interest in spiritual things. But they're not necessarily willing to follow the recipe. Well, if you don't follow the recipe, you're not going to get the product, okay? So, so what can we do this week to have this revival, all right? So I want you to see four ingredients that I see in the text uh, for revival, okay? Number one. The first ingredient necessary for revival is people. All right, look at verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man. So when, when people get away from loving, reading, and obeying God's word, they lose his blessing. So, so the way to get the blessing of God back is to gather all the people together, get them on the same page, and make sure they're, they're, they're there. Now, I don't necessarily like using a lot of cliches when I preach. I kind of roll my eyes sometimes when preachers go on a tangent of cliches. But every once in a while, they, you know, there's nothing bad about that. And I, I know of a preacher, he used to say this all the time. It's good to be under the spout where the glory comes out. All right, you've probably heard that before, and there's nothing bad about that. But, but I, I like that cliche in this particular case because you can't receive God's blessing if you're not there. All right, now I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir this morning, aren't I? But, but I just want to remind you that we've got to be there. So let's kind of look at a few things here. Uh, first of all, notice that it was the people that called for it. Now that's kind of backwards from the way we normally do things. Usually what happens is a pastor, you know, he's going to sit down maybe with his staff, if his church has a staff, and say, hey, when do we want to schedule this special meeting, and who do we want to have come, and, and kind of the pastor puts this all together, and then he gets up and he says on maybe a vision Sunday, and he gives you a calendar, and he says, we're going to have revival on these dates, and then as it comes, he's saying, listen, you need to be here, we're bringing a preacher in, and this is the schedule, and you need to be here, and you need to be here, and the preacher's calling for it. But did you notice in this text, it says the people called for it. It says all the people 11 times in the entire chapter. I mean, the people, it wasn't Ezra calling them to this. It was the people calling Ezra. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I would have a heart attack if I'm sitting at home. Uh, you know, I, I like to exercise a lot, and so at home I got this exercise machine called Lazy Boy. And if I pulled that back and I'm sitting there and I'm reading a book or watching a game, and, and I get a phone call, and it's the chairman of my deacons. His name's Danny Martin. And if he said, hey, preacher, it's, it's, it's Brother Danny, I just want to let you know, we got all the people are down here at church, I mean, they're in an empty seat in the house. I mean, we, come, we went down the roster, and everybody's here at the church, and we're just waiting for you. We, we decided this, it's only Monday night, but we want some extra preaching. What? You know, I mean, what has happened here? I, I, I mean, I, I, would, I would fall out. I, I wouldn't know what to do. But we hear, see here that it was the people that were calling for this, the people that wanted it. And in fact, I know I've glossed over those names in verses 4 and verses 7, but I'd just like to say this publicly, and I think your preacher would say amen to this. I'm so thankful for the people, like these people mentioned in verses 4 and 7, who maybe you don't know who they are and what they've done, but they were a help and a blessing to the preacher. We know about Ezra and we know about Nehemiah. We don't know about Malchiah and some of these other names, but they were there supporting the the man of God. And without them, there would be no work of God. And it seems to me that these people wanted all that they could get. In fact, the Bible is telling us, according to verse 3, that they stood, they stood for five to six hours. And you think about how we are, and I'm not against it, I'm all for it, but then you got padded seats, and 
climate-controlled environments. And, man, I mean, these people were standing the whole time. I, I noticed how some people roll their eyes when you stand to read the Bible. Come on, can we please sit down? But anyway, notice that they say they had respect and appreciation for it in verse 5. Um, they responded favorably to it in verse 5. I'm trying to be quick, but I, I like that. They responded favorably. They said, amen, amen, and they, they were receiving it. Can I tell you, uh, by way, as, as just kind of I'm rushing through here, but, but change doesn't happen simply because you hear the truth. Change happens because you respond to the truth. Okay, so that I know some people would say, well, why do, why do churches like yours have an altar call? Why do you, why do, you do that? Because it's an opportunity for you to respond to what you've heard. And it's not just limited to the 10 minutes or 5 minutes after a preacher preaches. It, it's when we go home. We've got to respond to this. We've got to apply it. And, and that's what brought this revival is because all the people gathered together. All the people were there to hear it. But not just hear it. They responded to it. And, and that was an ingredient. So bottom line is this as I move on to the next point. Revival's not going to happen if you're not here. Okay, just simply put. All right, number two. The second ingredient necessary for revival is purpose. Look at verse 4. I like this. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. So they didn't just meet for the sake of meeting. Um, I don't know about you, but I detest having meetings just for the sake of having meetings. You know, at our church, if there's no reason for our deacons to get together, we do not have a deacons meeting. All right? Uh, we don't have a business meeting if there's no business to discuss. I know some churches, they just like to meet to meet, and, and I don't like that. Here we see that these people met for a purpose. They didn't just have church because that's just what you do. No, they had church because there was a, a purpose behind it. So they constructed this pulpit, this platform, and they expected to hear God's word. It's like that old song. I still like those old songs. There, there's something about some of these old hymns. And I'm not against new songs either, but don't you like this one? Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the word? All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. So brethren, pray and holy manna will be showered all around. You see, the idea there is, brethren, we've met to worship, but, but for a reason. It's not just what you do on Sunday morning. It's not just what you do on Sunday night. And it's not just what you do in the spring as you bring in a special speaker. There is a reason we have gotten, gotten together. And, and our revival meeting is the constructing of a pulpit. You've already made one. You've already got a platform. So having a special meeting is constructing a pulpit and saying, God, we really want to hear from you. So the question we need to ask ourselves today is, what have we done on purpose to hear from God? What have we? I think most people, and I'm not down on you, I pastor a church, I understand it. I think most people do very little to prepare themselves as they come in. I think very little prayer is done Saturday night. And I'm just talking about it on a regular day, week to week basis. God, please prepare me as I go into worship. And I, I think very little, I mean, I'm not against it, but you come in and you're shaking hands and you're yucking it up and all of that kind of stuff. But very little is, is done sometimes to say, God, I've got to hear from you, and I want to hear from you. And I want my heart to be in tune so that I could hear from you. And that's what they did. All right, so the third thought. Third thought is this. The third ingredient necessary for revival is power. Look at verse 5 with me again. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he's above the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. So he opened the book. Now you say, well, where's the power? Well, that immediately made me think of a verse. And maybe it makes you think of this verse, too. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful. The, the power there 
that did a work of revival was the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God is able to pierce even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and to the joints and the marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You see, the Word of God can do a work that no, no preacher could ever do, no meeting could ever do. It's the Word of God. That's why a church like this and a church like mine believe so much in the primacy and the importance of preaching. Because haven't you, I've, been, I've had this happen so many times. Have you ever been in a service before and you thought to yourself, man, the preacher is targeting me? How many of you have ever felt that way before? I've felt that way. Like, man, I must be the only person in this room. I mean, you've heard that before. People say, my wife's been talking to him or my husband's been talking to that preacher. We felt that way. Uh, anybody in here, has this ever happened to you? The preacher could be preaching, let's just say hypothetically, the preacher was preaching on heaven. He's preaching on heaven. And you got convicted about how much TV you watch. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, something that the preacher wasn't even talking about, the Holy Spirit was dealing with you about. Has that happened to you or is that just me? There is power in the Word of God. There's power in the Word of God. And every revival movement has happened as a result of a call for more of God's Word. Listen, I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm not trying to be mean or unkind in any way. But do you know that really social media and smartphone technology is only about 10 years old? I mean, the first iPhone, I think, came out about 10 years ago. Facebook's been around about the same amount of time. And I am told, statistically, the average person spends about four hours every day on social media and smartphones. And most of you are going, no, not me. Now, what would we do with our time if we had four extra hours every day? That's an interesting thought. You say, well, why are you saying that? I'm saying we've had our fill of social media, we've had our fill of internet, we've had our fill of TV, we've had our fill of Netflix, we've had our fill of uh, you name it. But what about our fill of God's Word? Because no book, no book has ever approached its depth of thought. You say, what do you mean? Listen, I got saved as an almost seven-year-old boy. And it was simple enough for me to understand how to get saved. And I got saved. It's simple enough. There's simplicity in Christ. But I have been trying to faithfully preach it and study it every day of my life for quite some time now. And I am not even close to getting to the bottom of the barrel of the depth of thought that is in it. No book has its measure of holiness. No book has its measure of influence. No book contains the means to happiness that this book contains. And no book contains the power of God like this book has. So what we need for revival is, first of all, we need to be here. We need to know why we're here. And then we need a good big shot of God's word so that we can experience that life-changing power that can change and transform not just us, but even our hearts and our motives, our personalities. The word of God can do all of that. And so we need more of it. Now, Again, I understand the Bible is not a... Not the end itself, it's a means to the end. So I know there's some people that want to criticize people that make so much of an emphasis on the Bible. Oh, you just worship a, a paper pope. No, we don't. I understand this book is not my God. 
but this book is a revelation of my God, and this book has been used by my God to do the things only God can do. So I say, give me more of it. Give me more of it. All right? So then the last thought, and we'll get out of here on time. The last thought, the fourth ingredient necessary for revival kind of goes on the heels of that, and that's preaching. Did you notice what they did with the Word of God? They read it, they gave the plain sense of it, and they caused the people to understand it. So they read it, they, they interpreted it, and then they applied it. That's pretty much what they did with it. Now, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I, I, I personally like to read things by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's a pretty, pretty deep guy and goes over my head sometimes, but I like what he said this. The primary task of the church and of the Christian minister is the preaching of the Word of God. The decadent periods and eras in the history of the church have always been these periods when preaching has declined. Now, let me ask you a question. You're in a good church where you get a lot of good preaching. But if you were to go around the country and drop in the typical average church, and I'm not picking on anybody, but I think we would all have to come to a consensus agreement that preaching in our culture has declined. Well, would we also say that in our country, in our society, in our culture as a whole, we could call it a decadent period? Could it be that those two things are related? I would submit to you that Mr. Jones was right. Uh, what, what have we done to our preachers? Uh, we have told our preachers uh, not too long. You know, I mean, that's why you have the little guy sitting on a stool going, uh, not a sermon, just a thought. Right, you know, because we don't want it too long. You know, just give me 15 minutes of something, right? Now, that's how a lot of people feel. We've told our preachers not too long, you know, I mean, come on, noon is coming. I got to beat the Presbyterians to the buffet. Let's go, you know, and we've, we've, we've done this. We've said not too loud. I mean, I've had people say to me, well, I didn't come to church to get yelled at. Well, I never want to yell at somebody in the sense that I'm being mean, but, but I kind of like it when a preacher raises his voice every once in a while. That means he's actually excited about what he's talking about. Nobody has ever said anything like that to Coach K when he's yelling at his basketball players. And I, I, I don't know, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to let some basketball coach out-preach me. <laughs> Man, I've seen some politicians really get into it, you know, and, Man, heaven help us if, if a politician can outpreach us. But we've told them not too long, we've told them not too loud, and we've told them not too often. And this bothers me. The trend in our culture is Sunday morning only, no Sunday night, because we've got, we got need to family time. Well, how about spending some time together in church? All right? And, and we've told them, you know, we, you know, Sunday morning's enough. And then, then throughout the week, we don't need to get together again. Let's just have, you know, let's go sip coffee around a table in somebody's house. And we don't, we don't need any more preaching. And I, I'm not trying to meddle. I'm just saying, do you see where the mindset of our, pre, of, of our culture has gone towards preaching? Uh, we said not too strong. You, you know, you don't have to be that forceful about it. Well, I don't know about you, but I want a mechanic to be honest with me. I want my doctor to be honest with me. Well, sir, I think you're in pretty good health. I mean, got a little tumor going on. You know, I mean, tell me it. Let's put, let's put it straight. Don't sugarcoat it. Tell me what you want, what you, what you expect. But we've, we've kind of done this, and then we, un, then we think, well, why, why don't we have revival? Well, I'm telling you why we don't have revival. This has been our attitude. You say, well, that's not our attitude. Good. Because if we come to this week and we say, I'm going to be there. I know why I'm coming. I want some more of the Word of God. And preacher, you just preach it and give it to me straight. Put, tell me what, like, like it is, uh, how the Lord has put it on your heart, and I'm going to respond to that. 
See, Ezra was the perfect man for the job. If you were to go back and look in Ezra, you would find out that he, he, he had prepared his heart. He understood the necessity and the value of enlightened, zealous preaching. And, and man, you think about that today. With, without enlightened, zealous preachers, even the greatest book in the history of all books, I mean, in fact, we call it the Bible, the book. Without zealous, enlightened preachers, even this book would appear dull. So Ezra is the perfect man. And again, I show you that he caused them to understand. That means he read it distinctly. They, they, they knew what he was reading. He was reading the Word of God. There was no confusion. And I'm glad your church is not confused about what the Word of God is. Amen. Amen. You know, we know what we have. Listen, I read so many books about the Bible, and they talk about how oh, it's inspired, it's inspired. And then the very next chapter says, then we but we don't know where it is. I'm glad we know where it is. And I'm glad we know it's an inspired, preserved book that's in our hands and I'm glad that, um, I know your preachers the same way, but at the end of this week, I want you to walk out of these doors with more confidence in the book than you had when you came in. And I don't want to stand up here telling you what the Bible should say. I want to spend my time telling you what the Bible does say. And that's what Ezra did. That's what he did. And uh, I want you to see also he was playing talk about what he was saying. I call them Charlie Brown preachers. I never want to be a Charlie Brown preacher. You know, his teacher was wah, 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 wah. And I have been in services where I've heard a guy talk for 40 minutes and I have no idea what he was talking about. Either he was trying to be so egg-headed that, that he was talking way over the above the people, you know, what are you talking about, man? Or he was just driving around talking about anything and everything that there was nothing about it. Listen, I, I came across this, again, I, I'm, I'm throwing you some poetry today, but, but you've all heard the poem, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, How I Wonder What You Are, Up Above the World So High, Like a Diamond in the Sky. We, we understand that. But somebody kind of adapted that poem and said this, Scintillate, scintillate, global vivific. Fain would I fathom thy nature specific. Loftily poised in the ether capacious, strongly resembling a gem carbonaceous. <laughs> and all God's people said, what? <laughs> right? And we've heard preachers that were like that. You know, they just kind of driving around or mumbling around. No, Ezra gave plain talk about what he was talking about. He gave the sense. He told them what to do with it. And here's the key. They did it. They said, we'll do that. We'll do that. And God sent great revival. Do you believe with me? Because I believe this. That if you'll just be here, know why you're here, hungry for the word of God, responsive to the preaching of the word of God, I believe God will send revival. I believe he'll send it in your home. I believe he'll send it in your individual soul. I believe this whole church will be more enthusiastic about spiritual things by the end of our time together. Not because of me or my ability to preach. No, no, no. Because all is vain unless the Holy Spirit comes down and meets with us. And we've got to give him something to bless, something to meet with. So if we're going to have revival, we've got to follow the, the, the recipe. So the question is just simply this, and we'll end on time. Will you be in your place? Are you preparing yourself? If so, how? How are you preparing yourself? Do you see the Word of God as a tool, a vehicle for change in your life? Do you believe in the importance and the primacy of preaching? I think if we can answer those questions correctly, no question in my mind, the Lord wants to bless this church. The Lord wants to revive this church. And I believe He will if we'll follow His recipe. Heavenly Father, thank You for letting me teach Your book just a little bit.